Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for Clips and Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Ready, Just call me Swanee. Finally, Clemson Sports Talk has come back to drive time. Hello, everybody. Lawton Swan back in the saddle once again. Happy Monday. Hope you're doing well. It is the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk for you each and every afternoon as you make your way around the great state of South Carolina and beyond, hanging out with us on fantastic radio stations like Fox Sports Radio 1400 in the Midlands, Sports Radio 100.1, the fan in the Florence area and 920 a.m. in the low country down in Manning, welcoming everybody into the program. And today, out of the gate, the special guest, John Saketa. You may not know his name, but he was the assistant athletic director uh, for game management and promotions at Clemson University, dating back to 1986. And his book, Clemson, Through the Eyes of the Tiger, is a story told by the Clemson Tiger mascots. And what an awesome opportunity to celebrate those guys who stories might otherwise uh, be untold right now yeah it, it was a fun little adventure for about six months back in uh 2014 and then 2015 start to go out and sell it you know to to the general public at ipte meetings and then through facebook and everything like that so yeah the book's been out five years now uh through four editions which you update after each year you know a couple pages here or there depending on how many mascots uh, they had that year, so it's a lot of fun, though I can tell you that. And looking back, you know the Clemson mascot dating back to the 1950s. Prior to that, uh, as you are aware, what was done just in terms of you know game day environment, et cetera, at Clemson? Well, in, in the early days, you know, it's basically it was a football game, you know, in the band, and that was it, you know, and then. As time progressed, you bring in the mascots, you know, in, in the 50s, and, you know, now you got animated characters out there. And then, you know, you got the country gentleman, you got the McFarland and the cannon, and then you get to what you got today. It's a, it's a huge event. So, yeah, you know, everybody adds to the piece of the pie, as I used to tell people. And, you know, the mascot is a big piece of the pie in some eyes. Other people look at the football game, other people look at the band, but it's all entertainment. It all makes it worth your trip to Clemson on a football Saturday in the fall and then also the spring game. So it's, uh, yeah, the mascots have been a, a great addition, a lot of comedy uh, for the youngsters and sometimes for the parents, depending on, on the situation of the game. 
John Cicchetta with us here on Clemson Sports Talk today, talking about Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. Fantastic book, taking a look at Clemson's mascot history. So, John, let's back up just a little bit here and, and talk about your arrival at Clemson. I do want to get into your life in sports at some point during our conversation today, but when did you arrive at Clemson and what brought you to Tigertown initially? Well, I uh, was hired in August 22nd, 1986, and my interview had taken place a month prior, and I knew about Clemson through soccer, um, soccer team in Butch Ibrahim in 1979, when they lost Southern Illinois University at Edwardsville, and that's where I was going to college at the time. So I knew Clemson as a soccer school, as the other football there is, and so when I got on campus and saw the football stand, I go, wow, this is amazing. Never expected it. And, you know, so I come on board in 86, and the first thing is this, they tell me, well, you're going to be working with the cheerleaders and the mascots. And I had no clue what I was getting involved with uh, back then because, you know, I was just here to do game management and promotions and create a, a new excitement at ball games. And next thing you know, you got a, the cheerleaders you're working with, you're working with the mascot, you're working with the band, and because uh, I was the new kid on the block. So I got everything. And, uh but you find out it's a lot of fun when you work with other groups that you're not expecting. And, you know, the mascots, the cheerleaders, the band were all great to work with uh, for 26 years. So I'm thinking back, 1986, Clemson would have just finished, I guess, tacking on the second upper deck in 84. And so the stadium was pretty much what it is today, minus uh, the West Zone, which was a huge undertaking. But from that standpoint, 1986, game day atmospheres, what was that like maybe even compared to where it was when you retired and where it is today? Well, the first couple of years I was down on the field, uh, the first six, probably seven or eight years I was down on the field because Lynn Goff was our associate AD and he was running everything upstairs. So I was just doing the on-field introductions. And then when Lynn left Clemson, I took over going upstairs and I hired the students down on the field to do all the intros for us. But yeah, so it was, you know, back there in the nineties, you know, when you first started playing music and, we really started at, at baseball games before football, but once we got into football, you're, you're trying to balance with the band, uh, the atmosphere of the game. You know, because if, if you watch a lot of pro sports, and a lot of people probably watch um, the Michael Jordan series that was just recently on, and and great announcers do not talk at the end of the ball game. Well, in athletics, you know, there's time when you let the crowd make their noise. There's a time when the band performs and then all of a sudden we're going to say wow let's play some music so it was interesting those early years trying to coordinate all that into the the new system of atmosphere and but you know you had some problems hiccups here and there but it's nothing like it is today because today the script is 10 pages for a game where a lot of times when we first started i could just look out and see the band director getting ready to play I knew he wanted the timeout. He let him play. Sometimes if I felt a song we could play might in, in, enhance the environment, I would jump off out there before the band. But, you know, a couple of times I might have stepped on him, which I apologize for because uh, <laughs> the band, the, yeah, the bands do a great job. I mean, they are 
underrated, uh, the amount of time they put in, and just to go out and watch and practice sometime, uh, especially when they first get on campus for a couple of weeks, you you really appreciate what they do. And but you know those hot summer, hot fall days, uh, the band director doesn't mind giving you a timeout because it gives his uh, students a chance to rest especially with those uniforms on sometimes. So, uh, you know, it gets to be a win-win situation for everybody. They get to rest, and you get to play some music. John Sakata, he was the assistant AD of game management and promotions at Clemson University uh, beginning back in 1986. And, of course, a Saluki guy, but... In 1987, right after you get on campus, Clemson Soccer, the team that uh, you mentioned earlier, won a national championship. And obviously, I think fans correlate the the Clemson mascot to football and and, and basketball and baseball. Was that also a part of uh, the the duties of said mascot at the time? Yes. Uh, Mascots went to everything back then. Uh, And again, we only had one Tiger when I got here in 86. And until we added the Cub in 94, it's just one person and a backup doing everything. And, you know, and then they start, back then, you know, we started doing more off-campus appearances, weddings, you know, the egg festival, a parade someplace else around the state. And, you know, it started developing. The, tig- the Tiger Cub comes in, you're doing more and more appearances. Uh, so uh, now they got like six or eight students who have to do the appearances, and they're doing almost 500 a year, which is insane. Uh, wow. And that's because of the popularity of the university and, and the mascots themselves because, you know, they create their own image and people want them there. But, yeah, the university winning uh, helps. Uh, but, yeah, the uh, it, it's a job for the mascots now. It's not just being entertainers, you, you are dragged all over the state uh, making an appearance, and now you're even dragged all over the country doing commercials for ESPN and all these other advertisers out there, which, you know, great for uh, Columbus University had that publicity. The book is Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger by the Clemson Mascots and Friends Telling Their Stories. John Saketa on the line. John, you brought up the Cub. What was the thought process behind bringing on a, a newer mascot you know, into the fold? It, it was something to reach out to the young Clemson fans, the five and under, you know, basically. You know, you, you've got the mascot for the adults in the Tiger, but it's like, okay, how do we reach the young Clemson fans, uh, that, that seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kid, which way they're going to lean? They're going to lean towards Clemson. They're going to become a Carolina fan, you know. So, you know, get them there a little bit earlier. Oh, okay, I want to be a, a Tiger. And uh, so it was it's basically trying to convince people to um, promote their uh, – or it was, it was for us to promote the Tiger Cub to get people to join. If they, as a youngster, as a, as a collegiate club member later on, and uh, so it, it got the, at the young fan. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. At day one, as soon as they're born, okay, let's sign them up for the Tiger Cub Club and 
and, and begin their uh, their trip to Clemson and uh, as a student, and then hopefully as a graduate and alum, and you know keep the cycle going. So it was one of that. But you know the main thing is I was uh, up in Illinois on vacation for the July. I came back, and uh, Bobby Robinson and them said we got a new mascot. I said, okay, great. You know, and you're in charge and you got to design it. So <laughs> I had no clue how to do that. So, uh, but, and that's when we, I, I asked a couple of the uh, administrative assistant secretaries, Hey, you know, help me out with this. And I, I knew the shoes were important. So Disney was an easy idea there. Just look at Mickey Mouse. Uh, we started out with the bib overalls purple because purple was the new color going back to the old school colors. Uh, the bib overalls are from the uh, 70 and 80s when the uh, students and the cheerleaders and, you know, math got used to wear the orange bib overalls that you could find down in Judge Callis probably and some of the other uh, stores downtown. And so you bring in the bib overalls. So it kind of worked out uh, pretty good. Now, the problem was, was finding a student to be the mascot in the middle of summer. Because as mm-hmm. you know, there's nobody on campus in the summertime. Right. But I I just happened to go by one of the local establishments downtown and said, Oh yeah, I got a guy that works for me. And so he showed up, he was five four, five five, whatever. And uh Jay Williamson, I said, Jay, I needed somebody to be a mascot. So I convinced him to do it. Now Jay was already working at the game room. He was working at Manifest Records, he was working for WSBF. Uh, radio on campus, right? And he was also a teaching assistant, so he already had four jobs. I just threw one on top of him. <laughs> so uh, it, it was amazing that you know, by coincidence, I found the right person, the right time. He jumped in his suit, did it for two years, did a great job. And amongst all that, Jay was also working on his master's degree. He already had an undergraduate degree and a master's. He was working on a second master's, if not mistaken. So, uh, you know, Jay was well-disciplined in, in doing a lot of things. Clemson, Through the Eyes of the Tigers, the book, John Saketa on the line. You mentioned the shoes. It's funny you brought that up. I was going to ask you about that because the Tiger mascot currently, if I'm correct, does not have shoes. It's its, it's, its own sneakers. Um Has there ever been a point where that's been considered for the for the Tiger to have, you know, feet? shoes, whatever you'd call it? No, no, it, it never was. Uh, uh, you know, the, the, shoe, the tennis shoes they wear really tells you which mascot's in the suit. If you look closely, you can see how old the shoes are, you know, which style they wear. And they were in last year's Nikes, this year's Nikes. So if you see a couple mascots the same size, you might not know who they are. But if you look at the feet, you can tell. And that was evident. <laughs> okay. Um, it was evident the year when uh, President Barker first jumped in the suit. You know, he jumped in the suit, never put it on before. Now he's standing on the sideline not doing anything. But if you looked at his feet, you could tell well, that's not the regular Tiger. Um, so you know, that's that's the giveaway uh, sometimes for who the mascots are. But, no, the, the big shoes, it makes it kind of difficult to walk around in. And uh, so you can't move as fast uh, around the field or at, a you know, the ball – um, you know, baseball stadium or basketball court or wherever you want to be. So it kind of slows you down. So, yeah, you don't want to do both the same. you got to be different. And, uh, you know, the, I like the, the look of the, uh, the mascot with the, the bigger eyes and everything and and just the regular tennis shoes. It's, you know, still a uh, human being in there, but, you know, you really don't know it. 
until you look into their eyes sometimes, you know. John Saketa on with us here on Clemson Sports Talk. One of the things that I I feel like from my standpoint, you know, growing up as a, a kid that followed Clemson football, even though the, the mascots – face has changed to some degree over the years I don't know that it's ever been done so significantly uh, at least in my lifetime that I went oh my goodness what they do to the 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 mascot do you ever worry when you're making changes like that and adjustments that you're going to catch a lot of flack from people about how it looks and feels yeah you do but you make the changes for safety reasons. It's like right now the the eyes used to be glass, a glass uh, piece of glass, and from when I from eighty five up through twenty fourteen or fifteen, somewhere around there, and then they went to mesh uh, for the eyes for the tiger, and that's allowed more air into the suit because you know it's so hot, and there's a little hole on top of the head to let air out, but, you know, this gives them a little bit more visibility, but it gives them also a little bit more air to come into the suit. And, again, when it's 90 degrees outside and you don't have a, a place in a parade to, to stop, walk over and get something to drink or something, you need, you need as much air coming into the suit as possible and also let the heat out of the suit, and in this case here, the headgear. So, uh, yeah, uh, it, it does change. It has to change, but, you know, I don't know if we ever go back to the fangs that you used to see in the early fifties and sixties, you know, that would, now that would be scary to see those suits today. Uh, but, uh, no, it's, it's a, it's a ferocious tiger. It looks good. Um, and it's very functional. You know, it's easy to get the head on and off. Uh, I mean, if Lee Corso could wear the head for, you know, a couple of appearances, uh, through his career of, of wearing all the helmets, uh, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, it's a pretty good uh, look and a good feel, I think, for the are, university. Are there, you know, is there any conditioning at all? Air conditioning or not? You know, I've, I've seen them with little fans inside. I mean, do, do the helmets have any apparatuses like that at all? My understanding, the Disney characters have that, but we do not have that. The closest we came to that was we used to, for a year, we tried putting water shoulder pads on the students. Uh, underneath the suit and but once they you know it was cold and then once it warmed up all they were doing is wearing weight so we we eliminated that because it was just too heavy for them but that was the closest to putting any type of air conditioning in the suit was when we had some water ice packs i would call them and but then once it got warm you know yeah. One of the things I would add too, John, that I think is unique, you mentioned how the tiger looks. It is a more realistic version of a tiger than a lot of mascots, whether they be tigers or, or whatever. You know, they can almost become caricatures. In the history of Clemson, when you look back at the mascot, and again, the book Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, uh, it's always come across as a more realistic version. Do you know the story on why it wasn't? more caricatured or cartoonish and why it's always sort of been so realistic? Um, I do not know that answer, but I would guess that, you know, when that first mascot picked one up in the in the Fife Field House and, you know, put it on and, hey, we like this look. No one's ever questioned it. Hey, we want a more cartoonish type of mascot, which I'm glad they didn't do that because, you know, every school's got to be unique, and if we're the closest to the real tiger out there right now, it's you know it's a great 
uh, it's a great look for the, the current students who put on the suit. And uh, we're different than, you know, Mike the Tiger at LSU or uh, the mascot of University of Missouri and everything like that. You know, our color looks different. You know, it's just a, a more functional suit. So, uh, yeah, I hope they never go to the cartoon character. And then, you know, some of the schools like Nebraska has the inflatable mascot. Right. It's like, no, you don't want to put a student in that. And, and I've seen that before at some other schools. That doesn't look good. But, no, this is a good-looking tiger. Uh, the funny thing is the question you always get is, well, what's the tiger's name? The tiger. We don't have a name. No, it's just the tiger, and uh, you know, it's and it's a tiger cub. You know, it doesn't have to have a name. You know, it doesn't need to be called Mike or Phil or Joe or John or or Lawton or whoever. You know, it needs to be called the tiger, and so just to keep that as the name is pretty cool. We are back on the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan, John Cicada, joining the program to talk about his book, Clemson, Through the Eyes of the Tiger. And, John, you know, I look back and I think about how unique uh, the silence, the aspect of it, you know, where they they don't speak and and what it must be like to go through an entire game day uh, in silence while everybody else around you is, is being so passionate and celebrating and talking to you. Is that one of the hurdles that really kind of, you know, hits these guys when they get in the suit that, Hey, you can't talk. Yeah. Um, you know, they're not supposed to talk and, you know, 99% of the time you will not talk. Now in the, in the suit we had where the eyes, uh, there was little holes where the eyes were. You can put your two fingers in there and, and grab and say, you will answer when I'm asking you a question, you know, you as the advisor, whoever, sometimes you have to get their attention say, I need an answer. You know, whether you're hot in this suit or whatever, or can you do this appearance or can you do that? So sometimes you have to put your fingers in, hey, you know, give me an answer. But that's just between you and that person. No one else is going to hear that per- the you know, the mascot talk. But, yeah, they're told not to talk. Uh, and, then, you know, write it down if you got to, you know, if you need an answer, you know, let them write it down on a piece of paper or something. Uh, but, you know, uh, one of the – one of the great stories in the book, and uh, it's Martin Lowry's uh, story. And it's- Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Back in 87, 88, and he's at a soccer game, and a little girl walks up to him and pulls the tail and says, I know where you live. And, you know, Martin just shakes his head, no, you don't know where I live, you know, and he keeps pulling, I know where you live, and he shakes his head, no, again. And the girl keeps on doing it. It's like, I know where you live. He's like, you shrug your shoulders, like, where do you, you know, like, okay, where do I live? And she points <laughs> right. to the dorm room. And Martin lived in the SAE dorm right next to the soccer stadium. He used to hang the suit outside the dorm room. <laughs> I live right there. So it's like 
here you got to laugh, you know, but you can't laugh. You know, you want to say something to the, to the, to the child, but you can't. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're, they're tempted to talk at times, and that was one of the great ones, stories in the book. And, and that's what's good about the book because these are the, you know, the 80 um, students who represented the university, you know, for the last 60-plus years. And, you know, they can tell you what it's like to be in a suit at a particular event, you know, because everybody's watching you as a tiger, but you're also watching everybody else. So it's the reverse angle of, of what they see and, and what they got to do and, you know, how they moved around the stadium from one sideline to the other, going to see family up in the stands or the fraternity brothers or, you know, just fooling around with a coach, uh, you know, they're they're travel with the team, sometimes with a coach going to an MPA event. Uh, they have a lot of great stories. And, you know, the book could have been 500 pages. could have been 1,000. It, uh, it's not. I wish it was. It'd take a lot more time to write it. But uh, the stories are what people need to hear because it's history. And, you know, that's what everybody likes is about Clemson and all these other schools is the history of the school. And that's what draws you to it. It keeps your interest. And I think as people hear – this book um, through your uh, broadcast, you're going to say, yeah, I remember that game. I remember that event. And I didn't realize, you know, the mascot saw it in a different angle, you know, and uh, everything like that. Which, now, John, what happened? Yeah, go ahead. go ahead. Sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, what happens to the old old suits? I mean, do the, do the guys get to keep any of this stuff? Do they, I mean, what happens ultimately with the, the uniforms? Well, the tiger suit wears out every – will wear out within five years. And so if you see a tiger wearing a T-shirt or a jersey, that's to protect the stomach because so many people pull on them. But, you know, they get washed so much that they're going to wear down. The suits really have no value after four or five years, absolutely wow. none. So they somehow disappear. And, yeah. um, you know, some farmer mascots have, you know – a pair of hands or the, you know, the tail, the body, the headgear, but no one has the complete suit. You know, they got, they might have pieces here and there, but, you know, <laughs> and, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and for the last 20 years, they've been getting the, the, they get to keep the gloves or the Tiger Cubs shoes when they graduate. So they okay. get a pair. And they, and then they get their, their football jersey or their basketball jersey uh, when they were uh, a mascot. So they get, a, you know, that as their little um, keepsake. And somebody got a tail that over the years, you know, fell apart. But yeah, they, you know, they, they start getting some little momentums of when they were the tiger. And when we did the reunion, I, I had extra gloves and tails. So I made sure everybody had at least a little bit of a, a uniform, especially if you were prior to the year 2000. So now, you know, everybody's got something to put in their house or in their office. John, I think about the role that the mascot also plays with the cheerleaders, but I'm assuming because you were over game management promotion, it's a, a separate kind of deal, but how, how much overlap is there and how do you coordinate that on your end? Well, the, the early years, the, the, the Tiger became was a cheerleader. So the Tiger came out of the cheerleading group. And then, you know, they started having separate trials just for the, the Tiger. So, but, uh, you know, you, you meet with your mascot once a week or every other week, whatever, you, you know, and say, hey, you know, we got this game, 
what are you thinking about doing, just so you know what what's in their mind so that you can put it on the video board. You can put it on Paul Vision. You can say, okay, mascot's going to be doing this, get, get it on, take this picture. Which brings me to the game uh, against Florida State when uh, Florida State got in trouble for uh, shoes at, at a local um, – Right. Department store, if you remember. Yes. And so they come to campus and we I was in, I was instructed to instruct the mascots not to embarrass the university and make fun of, of Florida State for having this little problem with these shoes. John, I tell you what, let me uh, let me press pause because I got a feeling this is going to be a lengthy story. Uh, taking a look at <laughs> the free shoes university deal with Clemson and Florida State, we're talking with John Sakete again. The book Clemson through the eyes of the tiger. We're going to be sharing a lot of these stories with you here on the show that shakes the Southland. It is a great partnership and a great opportunity uh, for you to hear so many of those wonderful memories covering uh, the things that took place both in and outside of Death Valley, Riggs Field. Uh, the list goes on and on. Doug Kingsmore Stadium. And again, uh, John Saketa did a fantastic job in his role as the assistant athletic director for game management and promotion, helping uh, take the tiger, its antics, and uh, occasionally maybe some things that he uh, hopes or hoped didn't happen uh, that took place even after his watchful eye. But uh, we'll finish the story with John Saketa here on the show that shakes the Southland. Uh, it is Clemson Sports Talk right after this. It is the People's Show. It is the show that shakes the Southland. Clemson Sports Talk, Lawton Swan, John Saketa on the line. Okay, John, take us back. Florida State, this is during the Free Shoes University deal, and you had instructed the Tiger not to antagonize in any way uh, the Florida State fans, etc. But these guys were going off a little bit on their own. You know, I did my job. I told them, and then the next thing you know, three quarters of the way through the game, here comes two mascots walking from the student body and behind our bench all the way to the Florida State uh, band. They did their little uh, routine in front of the Florida State band, and they went back towards the student section to get out of their uniform. And the uniform they did, they put on the jailbird uniforms like they were, you know, uh, criminals. And uh, then all of a sudden, I got someone yelling at me, so why are the mascots on the video board wearing these outfits? And I had no clue. Uh, but, you know, somebody convinced them to do it the night before, so they did it. <laughs> and so I'm getting yelled at. And, you know, I, said, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I didn't see it happen. You know, I, I was focusing somewhere else. And right. the problem is we didn't tell the camera guys not to put it. And the camera guy put it on the video board because he thought, well, must be okay. The mascots are doing it, you know, and I'm thinking, oh, please. So we got yelled at for that. And if you, when you read the book or if you hear during the story of the book, the word advisor, that is me and the mascot getting yelled at by somebody, (laughs) which, you know, it's, it's all part of it. And, you know, it's all fun when you look back at it, you know, maybe at that point in time, it wasn't sportsmanlike. But, you know, they are students. They're supposed to be creative, supposed to be funny. And sometimes, you know, it's nowhere near what you see at Duke basketball games in the day back in the you know, 70s, 80s and 90s. Right. But it's still 
comic relief, you know. It's, it's, it's clean, fun, but sometimes, you know, you might get somebody mad. I mean, like one, one mascot gets his tail full of water, you know, because it's a rainy day and it throws his, the water up into the visiting stands, you know, so that you're going to get a letter for that, you know, because, you know, we're, you, you got, your mascot got us wet while it's raining, you know, but, you know, it's all <laughs> John, part of it, you know. John Sagetta. Like why why am I getting yelled at? Yeah, right. The book Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. All right, John, uh, let's talk a little bit about y- your life in sports real quick and um, ultimately, you know, how you end up arriving at Clemson but let's go back as as far as we can really in your mind's eye when when were you know, you first actively either a involved in sports or, or really remember following sports as a kid well when I was in high school I used to have to change the marquee outside the high school you know upcoming events and all that kind of stuff so basically it got me into you know signage which would be a big part of my career because of the video boards but you know most people grow up being hunting fishermen other people play sports other people go play the piano or whatever i didn't hunt and fish i didn't play any instruments so i you know played uh, baseball growing up and then track and living 45 miles from st louis you, know, you can always r- ride into st louis watch the cardinals play or the blues or the football cardinals at the time so we were always going to sporting events, and when we were young, you know, 16, 17, you got a car, let's go to ball games. So we go to ball games all the time in St. Louis. And then I went to Southern Illinois Edwardsville right outside St. Louis, you know, 15 miles outside, and just started volunteering for the athletic department there, doing um, little little events here, trying to sell some tickets. Uh, we had no football there where I went to. You said Chalukas before. We're the Cougars. We're the sister school to Southern Illinois Carbondale. So I helped AD out there, and then next thing you know, the University of Illinois opens an office, fundraising office in St. Louis. I volunteered and helped uh, that person out uh, for a couple of years while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do. I almost became a teacher, and I guess I have to credit the University of North Carolina for not being a teacher because I had tickets to the final four in new orleans and i was going through my student teaching and i was going to miss two days of classes and my advisor says you can't miss you got to do your 40 days all in a row i said i've had tickets to the final four for eight months in new orleans i'm going got a hotel i got train ticket we took the city of new orleans train from illinois down to new orleans just can't do it I said, well, sorry i'm doing i walked out the office and never went back (laughs) basically quit student teaching on the spot, go down and see North Carolina beat Georgetown. So, you know, a year later, um, up at Western Illinois in a graduate program for um, sports administration from Western Illinois, I, I end up at the University of Illinois in Champaign doing my graduate internship, which is the year after Illinois went to the Rose Bowl in 84. So I was at Illinois 84, 85. Then I went down to Eastern Illinois the next year, 85, 86. And our quarterback was Sean Payton, the head coach for the Saints. Okay. So we, uh, and here's where the promotion part came into everything. I did a make-believe TV football game between Western Illinois and Eastern Illinois. Because at that time in the 80s, they were no longer on TV because television was just looking at the big schools. So the one AA schools got shut out. So I'd called CBS, hey, can you help me promote this? No. NBC, no. ABC, no. But... You know, you could call ESPN, so I called ESPN. 
And this is like year six of ESPN before they were who they are today. And Mike Soltis was the promotion guy for them. And he says, yeah, I'll send you some hats and T-shirts. And so we did a banner contest and uh, took some highlights from that and shipped them up to ESPN via FedEx the next day. And it makes their what would be their top ten today. The cool thing about it was was Tom Neese was one of the uh, the announcers for ESPN at the time. He says, yeah, I remember East Illinois. Uh, I said, we played them in 1978 for Division I AA championship because he went to Delaware and Eastern Illinois had beaten them. And so, you know, that got the national news and you know, all the newspapers around the country. And that was my resume for Clemson uh, when I came down here in 86. And, you know, and then the first person I meet down here, first coach I meet is Coach Abraham. And I told him I went to school and then I had a – he told me why SIU won and uh, and how SIU won, and you know he had a better team and all that. And it was so neat to have that relationship with Coach Eve because you know here I'm from the soccer school, and you know he's two-time national champion, and got to be here in '87 and help put that event on uh, when we won the championship here at Riggs Field. Uh, so that that was really neat. We hit a quick break. We come back with more of the show that shakes the Southland. Going to be really fun catching up with uh, John Zaketa. I tell you what we're going to do. We're going to put the that interview on hold, and uh, we'll catch up with that at the top of the hour, an hour or two, because we got about 13 minutes uh, left with It is the show that shakes the Southland Clemson Sports Talk. And again, the book, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. Uh, John Sakata, fantastic catching up with him. We actually got about 13 more minutes of that interview. And uh, we'll run that at the top of the hour to make sure we get that in. William Quackenbush coming up at 520. And uh, golly, it's so much to get into there. Uh, former Tiger mascots were chatting me up over on social media and saying, hey, man, you know, John's impact on. Uh, Clemson is immense, and people just don't know how much he was involved in. Uh, this comes from T. Suber, who's one of the former mascots, and T's mentioned in the book as well. But T brings up the, the the stories about how you know John's influence on Military Appreciation Day, and we'll have to get John back on the program just to talk about that in and of itself. I mean, one of the great things about what we are going to do with this series is uh, over the next several weeks. You know, in addition to the interviews and the the my life and sports stories and the things we've been doing, one of the things we're going to try to do is bring you uh, chapters and pieces and parts of this book. And and John, in the the voice of your Clemson Tigers in Death Valley, Dale Gilbert actually does the reading. But we've got those available for you, and we're going to share those here. Again, uh, it is. You know, one of those aspects of being a student and being invested in a program that a lot of people don't get a chance to to do. A lot of people can't do it. And so it's a small fraternity of individuals um, who have done and had the opportunities to wear the, the, the mascot suit and 
ultimately, whether you are a child or an adult, it's hard not to not to smile and not to laugh and not to have fun when the tiger comes around. You know, for whatever reason, I think it's sort of ingrained in us to to be joyful. And, and even even the grouchiest of us uh, at our core you want to want to have fun. I, I saw a post over on Twitter from Sanders Sullivan, who you know does some writing over on Clemson Sports Talk for us. And Sanders was saying that it's so difficult, even when you're wearing a mask out in public, not to smile at people, even though they can't see you. And, and he's right, because I think deep down – we want to show other people that we care deep down. We, we want to show compassion and support. And when you're dealing with that mascot, whether you're nine or 90, it's still kind of fun. And I will find myself at times in the middle of a ball game, especially during the downtime, during the downtime, even still uh, trying to find and locate the tiger and see what kind of antics uh, he's up to. And we want to make sure that we do share those stories with you here on the show that shakes the Southland. Again, coming up in hour two, we'll kick things off uh, with the remainder of our interview with with John Sakeda. And you know, when I when I think of John, I think about Little John Coliseum. I think about North Floor, and part of his role in the promotions aspect of those operations w- was to pick the individuals that would participate at halftime in like a competition. Now, you, you didn't always have the juggling dogs or whoever, <laughs> frisbee catching dogs and uh, juggling 10-year-olds on unicycles. You didn't always have that. Occasionally, you would have, especially for smaller games, you would just have like a friendly competition. And those competitions could be like a three-point shooting contest or maybe putting a golf ball through the length of the court and if you made it in a hole the size of a you know something that that jerry from tom and jerry might live in a little mouse hole you win you know a hundred thousand dollars from a local car dealership something who knows uh but there was one time i got chosen and it was a, a layup drill and so what you had to do you had teams it's kind of a relay race and i was the anchor of our relay and the instructions were you're supposed to make a layup on both ends of the floor. And so you know, he finally gets to us. I think that we may have had one partner, maybe two. Anyway, I go down and you're going on the same end of the court. So you're, you're side by side with the person. So we might be behind by just a little bit, neck and neck, right behind. It was close coming down the stretch. I dribble down. I shoot my layup. No problem. The guy on the other team doesn't shoot a layup. And so now he turns and he's going the other way. And I'm like, hold up. And and literally, you wouldn't think shooting a layup in the downtime would give him that much of an advantage. But he's probably near midcourt. And, and I'm I'm uh, got some ground to make up, it's safe to say. But when I was a kid, we used to play a game called Knockout. And in Knockout, you'd have a line of... It's time for Clemson Sports Talk with Lawton Swan. Just call me Swanee. Tiger style. Tiger style. 
Hour number two. That's drive time right here on the show that shakes the Southland. Lawton Swan hanging out with you. We're getting back into our interview with John Cicada from earlier. And John, you were talking about uh, the Clemson soccer program. You just arrived on campus meeting uh, Dr. Ian Ibrahim and, and all of that, the success that they saw very early on in your tenure. Uh, you know, one year. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. You're in. You know, the soccer team went to championships. That was pretty cool. And, you know, the fridge is up in Chicago. You know, being from Illinois, that was pretty cool. Um, you know, that bridge had already gone. I didn't know him, never met him. But right. And then you got Ho- then you got Horace Grant and Eldon and Dale playing basketball. It's like, wow. So those first four years were amazing. Uh, you know, Clemson was winning everything. Coach Wilhelm, you know, had the baseball team winning a lot of ball games. You know, track was uh, starting to come on board, uh, men and women. And women going from a cross-country team to a full team. You know, and then you get to work with Coach Creasy, who was here 33 years. Uh, you know, was, there was a lot of great coaches when I first got here. So I saw the end of a lot of great coaches then, and then a lot of new coaches come on board, like you said, with Coach Barnes, the Slab Five, you know, him and Dean Smith getting in a big argument. Um, and little John that year, and, you know, it's like you know, it was a great place to work. Oh, unbelievable. And the run of great players that came through Little John Coliseum back in those days is one of the things that I think for me resonates as much as maybe the fun that we had was Tim Duncan, Vince Carter. You, you, know, you go on and on, and it's it's just a, a laundry list of Hall of Famers and, and longtime NBA all-stars that played right there in Little John Coliseum. So much you mentioned the Jordan documentary. Uh, one of the highlights of his college days was at North Carolina jamming in Little John. I'm like, holy cow, the talent that has played in that building. And you were there to see so much of it. John Saketa, again, he was the assistant AD in terms of game management and promotion. You arrived at Clemson in 86, John. Um, did you ever think you would leave? I mean, or, or did you settle in immediately and think, you know what, I, I think this could be home for the next 30 years? Well, uh, my interview question was, John, how long are you going to be here? You know, and I, you know, I guess back then, you know, they had a revolving door in some of these jobs. And I said, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be here a year, five years, 20 years. That's unknown. You don't know. Uh, you know, so I lasted 26 years. And again, I come back to Martin. Martin says, yeah, listen, this Yankee, you know, he talks about, yeah, he might be here five years and he's still here. You know, so Martin used to kid me all the time about that. That I'm still around, but no, it's 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 home. It's you know it's just like being uh, up in Illinois, a small school where I went to. Uh, it's just that you got football. Um, you know where I went, didn't have it. Uh, but you know it's it's a small community. In summertime, it's peaceful around here, like now, and you know there's nobody around, and you know so you can get around town with no problems. So uh, you got the Four Seasons, you got the lake, you know, you get to the beach whenever you want to. And go down to Masters if someone's fortunate enough to give you a ticket. So, hint, hint. Right. <laughs> uh, let me ask you one other thing. You were named an honorary alumni of the university uh, back in, I believe, 2013. 
What did that mean to you to, you know, to be recognized in that respect for what you gave to the school? Well, you know, that's one of the greatest signs you can get when you're one, you don't expect it. And then someone says, Hey, you know, the alumni association wants to recognize you for everything you did. And, you know, you find out that people wrote a letter on your behalf and you don't know who they are, but you know, you find out about the process and, you know, that's, that means, you know, you, you did a great job for 26 years that, you know, they say, okay, we want you part of our family. And, you know, I was the valedictorian in my class that year because I was a class of one that day. <laughs> so I feel honored about that, you know, <laughs> but I was also the bottom of the class that day too, but no, it, it was, uh, uh, against the Citadel, it was Military Appreciation Day. Um, university wanted, the athletics wanted to recognize me by allowing me to, to dot the I. And I said, guys, when I was on that committee, I said, no, one person doesn't dot this I from this committee. I said, that'll never happen. When I was working with uh, Clemson Corps and the Army and Air Force ROTC, but they came down the week of, they said, hey, your name's in the program. You have to go out. I said, well, I'm not going out unless I take the cadet commanders for Air Force and ROTC out there with me. So all three of us walked out there, and so I dotted the eye. And so when I came off the field, that's when they presented me with the alumni, uh, honorary alumni uh, certificate and all that. So I was really shocked then because I wasn't expecting that. Uh, you know, I just knew I was supposed to go out and dot the eye, and, which is another great honor. But, you know, it's, it's nice uh, when that happens. But. You know, you don't expect it, and you don't get it unless you got a lot of people working for you. I mean, it's not just myself. It's the the hundreds of former students who used to work for me change light bulbs in the scoreboards or might clean the trophy case or might run down a fall ball or, or whatever, introduce a group at a football or basketball game. Uh, you know, there's all those students that work for you. There's all the students who are mascots who create the image you know, to make events fun for everybody to attend. So, yeah, I share that award with, you know, all these former students uh, who are Clemson, you know, and I think students should run these events as, as much as possible because it wants a learning experience for them, you know, it's, and, and it, it keeps it fresh, you know. It's, it's new ideas all the time, and it's like when we first started playing music, I had a, a student, Daniel Tate, and he knew NBA-style music, and Daniel – is down at Mercer right now, working down there, associate AD, assistant AD, whatever. And but Daniel always wanted to play music every time out. So Dan, you have to share with the band, you have to share with the crowd or whatever. So, you know, with students you get to teach a lot and that's the fun part of these jobs is, is teaching students history and you also get to learn from them as they teach you what music's all about because there's no way I can play the music they're playing today. And, you know, DJ Shea does a great job. Uh, that was a great addition to Mike Money's staff to help Mike out because there's a lot that goes on in those game days now. And, again, like I told you, it's a 10-page script. You know, we didn't have that 30 years ago. You know, 30 years ago it was a couple pages, and, you know, you did everything uh, off your hip. And uh, But now it's a lot choreographed. But, you know, it's it's a better event. They do a great job. 
Johnson Kenna here for just a few more minutes. Again, the assistant AD of game management promotion. That's what he was at Clemson until uh, he retired. Uh, the book, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. So, John, let me ask you about the recent run of success with the Clemson Tiger football program and uh, maybe even more so. I, I know you're involved in all the sports, but what has it meant for you who you're spending the majority of your adult life you know, right there in Clemson, to see this team reach five consecutive top five finishes, two national championships, I mean, on and on and on, what Sweeney has accomplished with that program. What does it mean to guys like you? Uh, it means a lot because, you know, we're like Coach Sweeney says, you know, his first team's important camp because that built his foundation well. You know, to me, it's just the Bobby Robinsons, the Dwight Rainey's who taught me how to do my job and allow me to do my job as as much as I want. You know, there wasn't handcuffs on us and a lot of stuff we did in those early years. And, you know, we're all adding to the piece of the pie. And, you know, it's like I said earlier, you know, it's like some people like the mascots, the cheerleaders, the band or whatever. You know, it's that foundation that everybody builds from the early 1900s, you know, when IPTA was started in 1934 and, you know, Gene Willem and all those guys, you know, what they did to, to build up the unique thing that is Clemson. Now, you can write a book about Clemson and you can take it anywhere in the country. You can't implement that book. This is such a unique uh, family of Clemson people that make this such a great school to work at, to uh, attend, to live near, uh, that, you know, you can't take this book and write it someplace else. It's, it's it's a it's a very cool book that is Clemson University and uh, you know some of us are lucky enough to be able to work here for 26 years some work 40 still you know and but you know even though we only get to work here a year it's it's always uh, a great experience because it, it teaches you a lot as you move up the ladder wherever you might end up at and I've had some students go up to uh, to the next level even higher than where I am and you know it's always great to see them. Uh, when they come back to campus and talk to a class and, you know, how they learned, what they learned when they were here and, um, you know, what they're teaching their student workers or full-time employees or whatever they might be. So uh, it's just once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. You know, you open a door. I, I always tell people, I'll open a door for you to get an interview, but you got to sell yourself. you got to make it work. you got to work hard. You know, so I don't mind helping people out over the years. Hey, I need tickets for this or that or you know, can you help me get a job? And I say, here, here's five people. Your job to contact them. I'm not going to contact them for you. You know, you got to make it work. And, you know, so the good ones will make it work. They will get out there and find that, you know, that Division One job or that Major League job or, wherever they, or maybe high school AD. You know, you go back and be a high school AD. Those are great jobs now, especially if you get at some of these big football schools in the state of South Carolina. You know, I'd I, I take that job in a second. John, I appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your life story. We look forward to sharing more stories from Clemson through the eyes of the Tiger. Tell everybody real quick uh, the easiest and best way for them to get their hands on this book. Uh, go to uh, ClemsonMascot.com, and you can order the book through Amazon. Right now it's in paperback form. And depending on what – type of football season we have this year or not if i will reorder and do hardcover books but right now you can get the paperback version you can get the um kindle version too uh so if you want to put on your tablet there and put on your tablet and do it and then you know or just sit here and listen to your show every night and, and get the audio version so there's uh there's three ways but clemsonmascot.com it has my information in there you can just reach out to me 
And then um, if I do reorder the hardcover, I can, you know, put you on a list. And when I get them in, I'll uh, tell you here they are and here's how we pay for them. I'll send an autograph and send it to you and we go from there. But, you know, I, I do appreciate, you know, your time here today. You know, uh, you got a great program and, uh, you know, you had to start someplace, you know, and you got all the stories because you were there, you know, at Death Valley, you were in Little John, you were at Tiger Field, Riggs Field, and, you know, it's, uh, you know, we were, before we were talking about basketball, you know, the Barnes era was great that you got to see because you stood on the floor. You literally could touch the Michael Jordans of the world, you know, and, <laughs> and that's what's so cool about the old Coliseum. You know, people don't realize that those three row bleachers, those are the best seats in the house. You I've know. tried to tell people that, that for that years. That was a lot, a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> I've tried so, to tell people for yeah, years. those students. Yeah. I mean, so you've got more stories. There should be stories right there from the bleachers of Little John. <laughs> what happened all the we'll time. We'll pin it. We'll pin it. Me, you, and we'll get super fan, Moose, uh, Lee Hanna. We'll, we'll pin it. Yeah, Lee. Yeah, we'll get Lee down there. And, and, and you know, the – the one guy I miss a lot was Andy Bellier, and Andy had passed away, uh, had an aneurysm. And but Andy used to be down on the floor there, and he get tossed every now and then by the ACC ref. And he looked at me and said, "I know the way out, John. Don't don't worry. You go out <laughs> through the tunnel, and then walk up to the top." You know? Well, I told I told this story the other day. Um, you know, the, the Clemson played Wake Forest. The the Number two versus, I think it was number four at the time, that, that night game. I was telling this to, to Tim Beret. Well, about 13 seconds or so were left in that ball game, and I was giving Rick Hartzell the business because I thought he should have called an offensive foul on Tim Duncan. He threw me out with 13 seconds left in the game, Jonathan. <laughs> There's 13 seconds left in the game. I didn't even say anything yeah. wrong. You just wished it was Lenny Words, didn't you? Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. John Sakena, again, the book, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger. John, man, thanks for your time. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it very much, and uh, good luck with your show. Always good. Always good to catch up with John. He's a, I consider him a, a dear friend just from the time I spent in Little John Coliseum. All right, here's how you could participate in the program, and one listener is going to love this. 803 450 0086. That's 803-450-0086. If you want to text or call, uh, you can do that. We actually had some text messages come in uh, to the program here this afternoon as well. Uh, really awesome catching up with John. Um, he is uh, a, you know, a, when you think about you know, guys who – are in the background, and I think T. Suber, a former Tiger mascot, said it best. You know, he's a guy that a lot of people don't know who who he is, or maybe even what he did, but certainly a huge contribution uh, to Clemson University. Uh, this message comes to us from our buddy John in Archdale. He says, "I stood on those bleachers too." Yeah, look, it it, it is. There's no offense to what Little John Coliseum looks like now versus what it did then. I do, you know, I, I am. I'm going to be honest because I look. I'm not. A, I'm not somebody that lies to you. When they renovated Little John Coliseum most recently, I said lipstick on a pig. Uh, but then, if you really get inside it and and see some of the things they've done, it's it's nice. They've they've made some real nice changes. I still would have preferred from the ground up something brand new. 
even though it is nice to have something called the Swan Pavilion. <laughs> but on, from, from that standpoint, I want to at least say this. If you could have kept the risers, you know, if you could have kept the most unique seats in college basketball there for three rows of, of college kids, I would assume you could probably get 65 to 70 people on each row, 210 people on one side. The other side was missing a, a middle third because of entering and exiting Little John. So, I mean, what, what kind of number are you talking about there? 400 students max, maybe less. But, man, those seats were awesome. And John's right. We had some some great great stories uh, from that day and age. Coming up on the program in just a little bit, William Qualkenbush will be joining us, and we'll focus a little bit of his memories into Little John Coliseum. That seems to be a bit of the trend where we are right now is uh, the stories and the guests have all sort of yielded results towards Little John. Uh, it got me thinking over the weekend about college football and, and not the upside or the downside or the inside or the outside or whether we'll have it or not. But what really got me thinking is, you know, even in a day and age where sports would have been normal, there I, I, I honestly believe we would have had even more focus on the Clemson football team in the upcoming season than we have had. And I, I kind of think... And maybe I'm maybe I'm way out of bounds on this, but I I kind of get the feeling that this has been good. This in terms of the show that we're not as you know zeroed in on Clemson football that we're opening up our thought process to other stories to get out there to you. I can't wait to get into more of these mascot stories over the next few weeks, uh, and the and Dale Gilbert reading them. Man, you're gonna feel like you're in Death Valley. I mean, Dale Gilbert. You know, C.J. Spiller, Dale Gilbert is going to be reading those for you here on the show, The Chase of Southland. Uh, and, and think about this, too. If you want to know kind of how much time has gone by, get this. Today is Monday. May the 4th be with you, right? Tomorrow, Clemson would have been playing the Citadel in baseball at Doug Kingsmore Stadium. Then they would have played against Charleston Southern on Wednesday. They would have gone into their final road series of the year against Miami. One game against the Citadel in Clemson, I believe, on the the 12th. And then they would have finished up their regular season play at Florida State the weekend of May 4th, 14th, 15th, and 16th. I mean, look, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong, not excited that we don't have baseball. But if I may be honest with you, I am pretty thankful that we're getting into May here and we've had plenty to talk about. I haven't had one show. I haven't had one show in 40 some odd days where I've walked in and said, oh boy, what are we going to talk about today? That's a positive for me in this business, believe me. 
450-0086. That's your text line. That's your phone number. William Qualkenbush up next. The show that shakes the South land, rocking and rolling, moving right along here on a Monday afternoon. Thank you to John Siketa for being a part of the program. And we hit up the guest line here as our good buddy William Qualkenbush steps into the arena to hang out with us. As you know, Qualk has been a longtime guest here on the program. Qualk, buddy, happy Monday. Happy Monday, Swanee. Hope you're doing well down in the middle of the state. I will tell you, I have two episodes of The Last Dance to watch. That's exciting. So you didn't watch either of the ones last no, night? No. I watched episode four last night, Qualk. I'm milking this thing. Oh, oh you sly dog. You're just digging while everybody else is zagging. That's what this is. I have to stay off social media. People tweet too much. You guys need to stop tweeting. But uh, anyway, and, and that just kind of spoils some of the storylines. Qualk, let me tell you, man, we just had uh, John Saquette on the program. I know you know John from all the work that you've done up at Clemson for so many years. And obviously his book, uh, Clemson Through the Eyes of the Tiger, uh, a very unique look at not just the role of being the mascot at Clemson, but even kind of seeing things through the lens of the Tiger. Uh, what are your earliest memories of being a kid that grew up in Clemson of you know the mascot and the involvement of the mascot in game day atmospheres? Well, I mean, a, a couple things. First, uh, to your question about the mascots, I mean, uh, honestly, I probably like most – I don't even want to say most. I'd say probably about half a kid. And you start out kind of scared. You know, you're a little bit frightened. <laughs> uh, I really like watching the Jungle Book. Like, the tiger wasn't exactly the protagonist or the hero of that particular uh, that particular movie. And so uh, so that was a little bit frightening. Um, and then I, I kind of think that's – Part of the reason why they uh, came out with the Tiger Cub that it was a little more of a of a kid friendly mascot, and um, you know I I would uh, I would sit in the West End Zone and so you see Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky Lucky in line at the deli I guess aha in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Scott's interact, and sometimes you see him fight, and sometimes, you know, looking back on it, you could tell that the fight was... A little more contrived, and sometimes you think maybe the fight was a little bit real. Uh, and so it was, and you know, it's always good. It's always fun. I was, I was kind of the furthest person in the stadium away from like push-ups and all that. But you kind of see that happening over in the, uh, over in the student section. But uh, no, that that book I've read it. Um, John is a very good friend of mine. He's actually the first job I had working in Clemson athletics as a high school senior. He hired me to help with baseball games. And so John helped me get my start when I was 17. And so I'm very, uh, I'm very grateful to him for that and a lot of things, for teaching me a lot about Clemson and a lot about what a special place it is. And so uh, I know if you spend any time with John Cicchetta, then uh, I'm just the scraps, man, because he's the main course. That guy's as, as good a Clemson man as you'll find anywhere. 
I, I love stories when you have an individual who maybe didn't grow up as a Clemson Tiger came in uh, again in 1986. It's a business, you know, it's a job, but yet when he leaves, not only is he honored with a, an honorary degree, but Clemson's clearly in this man's heart. And I think for graduates like myself, uh, lifelong fans, that concept might be easy. But when you come, you know, in their mind, but when you come in and you've lived, you know, 20 some odd years or so at that point, it's different to kind of shift in and say, OK, I'm going to adopt this as my new family. And then, boom, 30 years go by and, and it, you know, his name's synonymous with Clemson for a lot of people. Yeah, for sure. And, uh, you know, John, I think, you know, you mentioned his story. I think one unique part of of his Clemson experience is how he used his um, sort of introduction and sort of becoming a Clemson gentleman, uh, as I just uh, used the phrase. He used that story to help tell the story of Clemson to other people. And uh, like you said, he had the perspective of somebody who – got here from afar and was here forever. And so he understood the not just the the way that it impacts somebody from afar and the way to get somebody to sort of grip somebody with the narrative of Clemson, but he also understands, and, and I would say still does, I use the present tense, he understands how that narrative impacts people still to this day. And so he could speak to not only the first-time person, but he also had a, and has a unique way of speaking to people who've been involved with Clemson for decades. And so because of that, uh, you know, because of those two converging experiences that he has and those two converging viewpoints, he's able to bridge a long and large cross-section of Clemson people and prospective Clemson people uh, by the way that he speaks and and the way that he works in in the favor of Clemson. And I think the book, um, you know, you got some mascots who have been Clemson people all their lives. You got some mascots who just did in college. You got the – the wide range of perspectives as you talked about, and I think that's one thing that's really neat about it. On Twitter, he is at Qualt talking, of course, each and every day in the upstate from noon till 3 o'clock. Out of bounds with Qualt and Kelly on 105.5 The Roar is where he takes care of business. And Qualt, from that standpoint, um, we talk a lot about football here, but you know, John and I's relationship leans back to Little John Coliseum. When you were in relationship, leans back to Little John Coliseum. When you were a kid and, and, and in that community and watching basketball games, who were some of those first set of Tigers that you kind of looked up to and said, man, I'd love to play the game like that guy? You know, it's, it's funny that you say that. I was actually I was thinking about this the other day because, uh, you know, well, watching the, uh, watching the documentary, um, Horace Grant's in there. Right. Uh, I met Rick Smith at a, uh, he brought his kid up for a visit. Um, and so Rick Smith's in the all-star game uh, in 98 that you'll see um, uh, when you, whenever you watch it over here last night. And so I was thinking about some of the great players that have come through, even that just stepped foot. And, uh, you know, I grew up like in the Merle code, uh, Tony Christie, Andreas Rakunis, uh, Bruce Martin ran basketball camps when I was a kid, but uh, apparently my parents say I attended some games when he played, um, you know, you've got uh, you got Terrell McIntyre. Obviously, I've gotten to know him uh, for being on staff. And uh, but I want to know Boogie and I want to know his teammates. We played a pickup game one time, and he shot the lights out, and I just kind of stood there. So that was good. Um, Harold Jamison, Andre Shakunis, Ikara Turbe, like that. 
That that's what I remember uh, yeah. growing up, and so those are my first memories. Are kind of when you were in school, I think a little yeah. bit. <laughs> well, uh, I was good. Going to games, Quong, Not to make me feel old, but those are guys that were in my freshman class. So we got a we got a break <laughs> coming up. <laughs> yeah, we got a break coming up in, in thirty seconds. So I'm gonna put Quonk on hold, and uh, we'll get back into some of those memories with him. Uh, when, when when William Qu- not saying Quonk's old either, guys, but when William Quonkenbush is referencing the the players that he looked up to as guys that I was in college with, that does make uh, the host extraordinaire, the show that shakes the South Lane, feel a little bit, a little bit, a little bit old, a little bit old. We'll come back, William Quonkenbush. He's on Twitter at Quonk Talk. Stay with us for more of the show that shakes the South Lane. If you are listening to the show that shakes the Southland on the uh, on the uh, telephone and stuff, you're probably good. But I'll tell you, in studio here at the house, <laughs> when that little little ad plays for uh, the Amazon Echo, if I if I have it on my speakers, I'm in trouble because all of a sudden she starts playing Fox Sports Radio 1400. So, we, uh, fortunately, I did not. William Quackenbush, though, however, is on the line and. Quark, man, it, you know, it's a it's a strange time, but I was telling the listeners, and I'm, I'm sure you guys are dealing with this up on your program in the upstate. I am surprised how quickly we've gotten into May. Uh, Clemson would be going into their last road series in baseball this weekend if, they were, if there was a baseball season, and they'd be closing in on the ACC tournament in just a couple of weeks. I mean, it's hard to believe, but it's gone fairly quickly. You know what? You mentioned baseball. I was—I had that same thought yesterday. We're basically at the end, and you know, by the time we get into maybe a further stage of integrating more as a society, it would be about the ACC tournament. And uh, by the time we start to think, hey, we might be able to play sports, it'll be time for regionals. And so it'll really hurt my heart every time we do that. Um, if everything goes well with uh, the reintegration and things uh, as we as we get, all get back to work, but um, I, I gotta say, it is. It is the season that moves the quickest for me because of how different it is, in my opinion, than the pro version. The pro version of baseball, man, you can lull into 162 games like swinging on a porch, man, and you just kind of ease on through it, and it's just following every day. It's a back and forth, back and forth. There's a rhythm to it every single day, back and forth, back and forth. College baseball is like that, too, but because of how long the major league season, by the time you get in a rhythm with your starting pitching, you get in a rhythm with lineups, you get used to how guys are playing, and you get used to conference, ebb and flows, things like that, boom, it's done. And I don't think you have that stark contrast necessarily with uh, basketball, I think, is, is maybe in the middle, but certainly football is not like that compared to the pro model. And so, for me, as somebody who loves the daily grind, and I call it a grind because if you want to do it right, it it takes a little effort. The daily grind of following a team, uh, particularly in baseball, college baseball season, is not long enough. People, that seems like blasphemy. I would love for college baseball to be like another month. Now, I know that's not true. And, you know, that's not something you could do because you got student athletes and all that stuff, obviously. The semester ends, and that's a that's a logical end to at least most of the of the season. And then you got to get ready for the next academic year. But man, just when you're starting to get used to things, just when you're starting to get into a flow, it's like the thing's wrapping up. And uh, so I, I think it goes, at least in my brain, it goes as fast as any season that we have on the calendar. 
On Twitter, he is at Qualk Talk. And Qualk, earlier today, some of the news that came out uh, involving uh, the former Dolphins Hall of Fame head coach, uh, Don Shula, passing away at the age of 90. I, I know that uh, you know his time would have been uh, well after y- your sort of uh, sports influence or influence of sports on your life. But you're talking about a guy that, that coached a, a team in 1972 to an undefeated season, a championship. Where, where does he stand uh, in the, the pantheon of great professional coaches in your mind's eye? Now, this is such a tricky conversation because I'm different from a lot of people. In fact, I'm different from my co-host. I think there are games that are played in the regular season that matter. And so whether we're talking great players, whether we're talking great coaches, whether we're talking great teams, I believe you can have a great season and not win a championship. I believe you can have a great career and not have done some of the apex mountain things. We're, again, the Michael Jordan documentary. Michael Jordan was elite in the finals. The guy was 6-0 in NBA finals. He was elite. I think players from his era, just because they played in Jordan's era, and if you put them in another era, they might have won championships. Reggie Miller, Patrick Ewing, Carl Malone, John Stockton. They're not less great players because they don't have the rings. Just because Don, and I know this is blasphemy a little bit, just because Don Shula amassed a bunch of regular season games, but doesn't have a relatively large number of postseason wins, doesn't mean that he's down the list for me. I would put him at top five easily, probably up in the pantheon with guys like Belichick, a guy like Landry. Um, that might be it. Maybe Chuck Knoll is in there. And, and furthermore, I think we also put guys in the Hall of Fame just because they did it for a long time. For Don Shula to be a head coach for like 33 years without a break and only go to two places, I mean, think about it. He was at the Dolphins for like 26 years. Yeah. And this is crazy. We, we never see stuff like this today. Belichick's been for 20. And by the way, I think his career wins record, I think it's going to be a lot like DiMaggio's 56, that it's not going to be touched because we don't give guys the leash. Guys don't get started young enough and have good enough careers to be able to match his win total. Belichick might reach it, but it would take a, a, a lot of luck. Andy Reid might reach it, but it would take a lot of luck. And past that, maybe a Mike Tomlin might get close. But I'm here to tell you, I think he's put distance uh, from himself and everybody else because I just don't think that's the way the game works anymore. So I think we'll see him as one of the three, four, five best coaches in the history of the game for a long time. And, oh, by the way, he's got the last undefeated team. It's been almost 40 years, and nobody else has done it, and that's got to count for something. Yeah, the uh... – the fact that you know you mentioned Tom Landry brings up the point of I think that longevity, man, it's so important. Uh, just being able to, because to me the Dolphins were Don Shula. I mean, it, it just there's no question. I mean, that's who they were when I was a kid. And and, and as much as they had Marino and Clayton and and uh, you know all the, the the great players they had, it was Don Shula, and that's what I loved. Quote, buddy. Always appreciate you, man, hanging out with us here and uh, moving around a little bit today for John Cicada. We had a, about a 13-minute segment left over. We wanted to get in with him. But, man, thank you for sharing your memories of him. and Well, not memories, but your memories of, you know, your time with him at Clemson and, and ultimately your thoughts on Don Shula, buddy. Have a great week. Thanks, bud. You do the same. Always a pleasure. William Qualkenbush on Twitter at Qualk Talk. Spectacular, as always, here on the show that shakes the Southland. Yeah, that was some bad news. Came across the, the feed today again. Uh, legendary, winningest 
coach in the history of the NFL, Don Shula, passing away. But a good life, man, 90. I would have never – I guess I would – I mean, maybe if you'd asked me how old I thought Don Shula was, I would have said 90. I would have probably said in his 80s. I, I don't know that I would have thought he was he was 90. Um, the Dolphins issued a statement saying that Shula died peacefully uh, at his home. And uh, they called him the patriarch for the Dolphins for 50 years. Again, that 1972 team went 17-0 with a 14-7 victory over the Redskins. Way back in uh, Super Bowl Seven, so awesome stuff uh, there with William Qualkenbush. Eight oh three four five zero double oh eighty six. That's your number. We hit a quick break. We come back and we put a bow on the program. What have you done for me lately? It's a fair question. Just don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't forget history. for us at Clemson, the answer to the questions, what have you done for me lately, and what have you done always, are the same. We win. segment on a Monday afternoon, Lawton Swan, the show that shakes the Southland, Clemson Sports Talk. Always good uh, to have you here being a part of the program. Thank you so much for everything you do. Come support us on our website, ClemsonSportsTalk.com. Just 18 cents a day. That's $63.17. $63.17 for you to be a part of it for a year. Uh, And again, that helps us continue to grow and build. We've got fantastic advertisers that support us, but we can also use your support on the website side. Uh, I I can't necessarily say they are interdependent of the radio show, but they are not uh, one and the same per se. Uh, The other thing I would ask you to do uh, as well is, is this. Uh, make sure that you share our posts over on Facebook, the stories and things that we put out. And we put out our uh, conversation with Mark Packer, his life in sports. And uh, we went ahead and opened that up to everybody, man. It was so good talking with Mark Packer. And, again, thank you to John Cicada for being a part of the program and William Qualkenbush here on a Monday afternoon, as he is uh, always. And so uh, one of the things I will say, i got to grade myself. See, you don't – behind the scenes <laughs> – Behind the scenes, uh, sometimes it's it's not as smooth of a show as it, it may come across. And today, I would grade myself in the B minus category, uh, and and really at no fault. Well, really no fault of my own. I'm, I'm going to go ahead and pass the buck here. Uh, at the top of the show, to kick things off, it kind of threw us off schedule. My battery's in my mouse died. And I couldn't start the show. So if you're wondering, if you're like, Swanee, oh, no, no, no clubs this morning. So, oh, my batteries died. Got to blame the batteries. Uh, John in Archdale says he was in Tigertown uh, on those risers from 1983 to 1987. Now, there have been some Horace Grant years there. That would have been, been pretty awesome. Uh, you know, watching Horace Grant on this series, though, I can't help but recognize – just how much smaller 
he was than the power forwards of today. And honestly, it like you you know I I'm never I was never a guy that bought into the Kobe Bryant better than LeBron James argument. And I would probably stand in and argue Jordan versus LeBron. You kind of know where I stand on that. Uh, I think that most of you would pick LeBron. But I, I, I thought about this. And, and not pick him as in, oh, you think he's the better player. But I'm thinking if you had all these guys out on the court, you would pick LeBron first. My argument's always been, though, maybe if Shaq's standing there, you might pick Shaq. So physically best versus mentally best versus statistically from the standpoint of what you accumulate in terms of championships best. I mean, all those things kind of go into it, right? And my favorite guy was Magic. But I, it got me thinking. I know th- I know that LeBron would have been dominant in Jordan's era. I know that. I don't think there's any question. As a matter of fact, if you look at the league at that time, and some of you are going to be steaming, so let me give you the text line, 803-450-0086. Some of you are going to be steaming about that. But if if you think about it for a second here, I I know that LeBron would thrive. His speed, power, all that in Jordan's era. Now, granted, strength training, conditioning, all of that stuff did not exist to the degree when Jordan was playing. We saw that in episode four, if you haven't watched it yet, because Jordan starts to bulk up and put on 20 pounds or so, up from 200 to 220 LeBron's like 265. Would Jordan translate to today? I think yes. He would obviously be a very good player, but the the speed and the strength of everybody else around him is much greater today than it was then. Look at Horace Grant. And then go look at a guy uh, like Giannis. Just go look at a guy like LeBron James, a small four. Yeah, so the size of the players. And again, I, I know you could we could go all the way back and talk about Wilt Chamberlain and this era, and we could talk about Russell, uh, you know, Bill Russell in this era. But I think of all those guys, when I look at the way they go, and maybe this will be my whole life based on where we are now. Maybe greater athletes, better athletes will always be better than the old guys and would fit in in those leagues better. But LeBron, to me, is more transcendent throughout the history than maybe Jordan is coming forward. That's a hot take for some of you. I get it. You don't have to stop wearing your your Jordan shoes, Tony Elliott. Um, (laughs) you You can just take that for what it's worth. I feel like backwards compatibility in the league for LeBron James is greater than forward compatibility for Jordan. Even though Jordan would be very good now. But I think guys are so much bigger and stronger than they were then. But I, I might be wrong by a mile. But that's uh, it's kind of my take on it. 
But I'm wondering if in 20 years, when I'm 63, if I'll look at some guy playing in the NBA and go, dude, LeBron can play with this guy. And maybe that's the case. We'll never know. It's all just simulated in our minds. But uh, thank you to our guest, John Sakata. Thank you to William Quackenbush. And we will be back with you tomorrow for more hot takes here, apparently, because my phone's blowing up right now. Thanks, text line. Uh, We will uh, get after that with you here tomorrow. And until then, as always, y'all take care now. And go Tigers! Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.